0: friends. If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them with me to Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4. I got to tell you how excited I am to be in Mark with you this morning. It's a privilege to be offered to preach in your sermon series rather than just bringing a a standalone message this morning and and to preach the text that we're going to look at today, Jesus calming the storm. This is one of the the most central texts in in the book, and it's such a a joy to be able to, to study it with you. You this morning. We're going to look at Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41 together, okay? So let's begin by reading this together. This, these are the, the very words of our God to us today. Mark says this, he says, On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. In, in the classic French novel and also the award-winning Broadway play Les Miserables, Victor Hugo tells the story of a man named Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean was a man who stole a loaf of bread in order to provide for his hungry family, and as a consequence, he spent years of doing hard labor in the galleys of Toulon. During those years of forced labor, Jean Valjean grew incredibly strong, and he demonstrated remarkable feats of strength. It was very clear that Jean Valjean had strength beyond the normal man. Later on in the story, through a variety of circumstances, Jean Valjean escapes from his sentence and then he creates a new life with a new name in a new place. And he so prospers in that new life that he he actually becomes the mayor of his small town. He he's loved by almost everyone in his world. And almost no one has any idea of the life that he once lived as a prisoner in the galleys of Toulon. That is, except for a man named Javert. Javert is a cruel and graceless man. Javert is set on executing his perception of justice wherever and however he can. Javert had spent years as an officer in the galleys of Toulon, and he had witnessed Jean Valjean's immense strength firsthand. And when Javert meets Jean Valjean for the first time, Jean Valjean, who is now a wealthy mayor of a town and respected by all that know him, Javert immediately thinks that he recognizes the mayor from somewhere, but he can't be sure. But but then over time, Javert begins to suspect that, that he does indeed know this man, and even that he was a man from the galleys of Toulon. But, but he can't prove it. That is, until one day when the mayor's strength gives him away. It happened that one afternoon, a a local man was driving his horse and cart, and the horse stumbled and broke two of its legs, and the cart flipped over and suddenly pinned the man underneath. And so while everyone in the town is just standing around, talking, wondering what to do, everybody's waiting for somebody to go and and get a jack to lift the cart off of the man, nobody has any idea what to do in this moment, moment. Jean Valjean knows something needs to be done. This man is going to die. But sadly, standing right in the middle of the crowd was the officer Javert. And Javert takes this moment and he looks directly at Valjean and he intentionally and maliciously tells him that the only person that I have ever known who might be able to to lift that cart off of that man was a man that I knew in the galleys of Toulon. And immediately, Jean Valjean knows that he's about to be discovered. But his heart is so compassionate towards the man that doesn't stop him immediately. He climbs under the cart and then with immense strength he pushes the cart up and they get the man out from under the cart. Jean Valjean's strength displayed his true identity. That there was ultimately no mistaking who Jean Valjean was when his strength, when his power was put on full display. His power revealed his true person. Folks, this text is is showing us the same exact thing this morning. In in our text today, we we have Jesus' power put on display in an unmistakable way. This is the, the, the first miracle in Mark's narrative that, that deals with Jesus' power over the entire natural world. Now, everything up until this point in the, in the chapters so far have been smaller, maybe more, more personal, miraculous demonstrations of his power. But here, Jesus takes on the power of the cosmos. Folks, this is very intentional As you've probably already seen, Mark is a brilliant storyteller. He is intentionally inserting stories and ordering these events in order to make significant theological points about who Jesus is. He wants us to understand Jesus' true identity, and it's been building up until this point. And so if you remember, from from the end of chapter 3 up into chapter 4, Jesus has, through his words, made some remarkable claims about his power. Do do you remember how Jesus, at the end of chapter 3, claimed to be the binder of the strong man? how he claimed that that in his coming he was binding satan himself and beginning to to plunder this world back to himself and to his father saving men and women from their the power of satan himself and then And then in the first part of chapter 4, we see the parables and and the the parable of the mustard seed. And we we hear Jesus say that that though the kingdom of God begins like a mustard seed, it will grow with unassuming power and it will go on to have unimaginable impact in this world. Its power and its strength will be unmatched. Listen, Jesus has been telling us with words about his power. But but now, in a particular way, from this point in Mark 4, all the way up until Mark chapter 8, when we have the clearest declaration of Jesus' identity, Mark now shows us that Jesus doesn't just tell us about his power. No, he begins to demonstrate his power in even greater ways. Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary on Mark, says the series of parables Jesus had told described the principles and the power of the kingdom of God. In the section which Mark now introduces, he shows us how that power was manifested in real life situations in the ministry of Jesus. And so what we have here, friends, is yet another way in which Mark is trying to convince us of Jesus' ultimate identity as the Son of God. Mark is, Mark is functioning in his argument, much like we function in our arguments. We make a claim, and then we seek to support it with evidence. I've heard a lot of claims this week that Texas is the greatest state in the Union. And, and all of those claims, yep, fist pumping already, I understand. All of those claims have been followed by, by what you would think are evidence. Look at the size of our gas station, as if that is evidence that your state is better than the rest. But, but this is what we do, right? We, we make a claim and then we support it with evidence. Mark is doing the exact same thing. That, that's the purpose of this next section of Mark. We are to see God's power on display. Now, church, this is not just so that we can talk about his power arbitrarily like we do about our favorite state or our favorite food or, or whatever. No, Mark wants us to see the power of Jesus so that you and I, can receive, so that we can receive comfort and hope and courage through his power. His power is supposed to to minister to your heart today, friend. He wants to care for you today. Folks, if you're taking notes this morning that the main idea for our message today is simply this, trusting who Jesus is gives comfort in every storm. Trusting who Jesus is gives comfort in every storm, and we have three points to consider together today. We have point number one, the chaos of the storm, point number two, the command to be still, and point number three, the comfort of his strength. The chaos of the storm, the command to be still, and the comfort of his strength. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, the chaos of the storm. Look look at the text with me. Look at verses 35 to 37. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Well, what we have here is very interesting. First, because of the details that are given. As you read this account, there are a lot of what seem to be needless details included in the story. We, we see the time of day included. We see the fact that the disciples took Jesus with them. We see the fact that they took him just as he was. The fact that there are other boats that go with them. And friends, listen, it's, it's good to notice these small details in the narrative, I love how when we read God's Word, it's, it's not written like so many other ancient epic stories that, that only tell the, the high points of the story just, just because it wants to make a big and powerful statement. No, I, I love how Scripture... Include seemingly needless details like these because it speaks to the fact that these things really happen. These details tell us that, that this is an eyewitness account likely coming to us through Mark from Peter himself who was there. A lot of people in our day, in the world today, we would like to say that scripture was only written as first century propaganda, right? That, that authors kind of created these fantastical stories for the sake of, of power and, and to gain political position and advantage. But that's actually the exact opposite of what we see in scripture, These are just real-life situations being recalled, real-life facts being written down, not because they they advance a political agenda, but because they really happened. And the authors, being led by the Holy Spirit, want to record every detail that they can of Jesus' life. Folks, I think that's amazing. I I think that these little details uh, help to speak to the authenticity of the Bible that you hold in your hand this morning. This is the very words of God. These are historical accounts that really happened. Minimally, we we should see this as an eyewitness account. These things really happened. They, They were really crossing the Sea of Galilee late at night. There really was a storm. And folks, what a storm it must have been. The, the Sea of Galilee, you probably know this about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was known for its violent storms and how they could just kind of come out of nowhere and surprise even the most experienced fishermen on their boats. The, the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains, and so the, the cool air coming down from the mountains, meeting the, the warm air of the sea, was, was known to create extremely dangerous conditions. And, and that's apparently exactly what happens here. We know that this is a very severe storm by how it's described by Mark. It, it is said to be a great storm, right? And then it says how quickly the boat was already being filled. We, we also know how severe it was by, by the disciples' response to it. They, they're terrified out of their minds, And that's significant because at least four of these disciples, if not more of them, are experienced fishermen. They they know what it is to be on the Sea of Galilee. They have spent their lives on these waters, often fishing at night. But here they are, terrified out of their minds and and confident that that they're about to perish. I, I don't know if you've ever been near to the point of drowning, but it's a traumatic experience, isn't it? You don't even need to have been near to the point of, of drowning to get a bit of, of what the disciples are going through. You just need to recall the last time that you went to the beach, right, and just walked a few feet in the water, and then that unexpected wave comes by and just, just bulldozes you over and you go somersaulting through. It, it's so powerful. It's so strong. You, you don't even need to go to the beach. When was the last time you went to a theme park for one of those wave pools, Right? It's pretty amusing to watch grown adults try to keep their, their dignity as they stand in the water. Just kind of like I am on this stage right now. <laughs> or how about those, those, those wave pools that teach you how to surf? Have you seen those? They're, they're basically like, like avalanches of water coming down, and then the worker gives you a surfboard and basically says, Good luck. And then you take that surfboard and you get on that avalanche of water and you try to surf. And it's very amusing to watch grown men just being bullied by the water, holding on to their swim trunks, desperately trying not to lose them as they go. Folks, few things communicate the power of nature and our weakness in the midst of nature as much as waves of water and storms on the ocean. But listen... You don't need to be caught in a physical storm on the Sea of Galilee to understand the sense of helplessness that the disciples feel. You don't even need to be in a wave pool. The waves of the ocean are a fitting way to describe much that we experience in everyday life. Waves are unmanageable. They can't be controlled. The storms of life are unmanageable. Second Samuel 22, verse 5 says, The waves of death encompassed me. The, the torrents of destruction assailed me. This morning in my devotions, I was in, in the Psalms. In Psalms 62, 63, 65, I was affected by how many of them speak about the violence of the waves and the storms all around us. Listen, biblically speaking, the sea itself is almost always described as a place of chaos and of disorder. Friends, isn't that so often a right description of our lives? And so Redemption Hill, where are the storms in your life today? In in what area of life do you feel like you are are drowning? In what area of life do you, like the disciples, feel terrified about what is going to happen next? You know, another thing that I love about our Bibles is that our Bibles do not lie to us about the storms of life. Friends, not once in the Bible will you find a promise that if you become a Christian, well, then you're going to be given an easy and peaceful and happy life. If if you've been looking for that promise in your Bible, you're going to be disappointed because it's just not there. That The Bible is actually filled with promises that our lives are going to be the exact opposite of that. That our lives are going to be battered by storm after storm. Scripture actually tells us to to experience these difficulties. And so again, where are the storms in your life right now? Where do you feel the the chaos of the storm is about to swallow you up? Friend, don't be surprised by that. It's a normal part of life in a sin-sick world. But wherever it is... Friends, notice this with me as well. Notice this, that not only is Jesus not surprised or concerned about the storm, demonstrated by the fact that he is asleep in the storm, which is crazy, but he's also in the storm with you. Friend, you're not alone. And listen, not not only is he not concerned about it because he's sleeping, and not only is he in the storm with you, look at verse 35 with me very quickly, where it says that it was Jesus that said to them, let us go across to the other side. Church, you may not like the sound of this, but sometimes our God leads us into the storm. Sometimes those waves that feel like they are going to crush you, they're his idea. And friend, that that, that is not to punish you, but to refine you. Not to crush you, but to grow you. So like the disciples, Jesus sometimes takes us into the storm because he he has lessons that he wants his children to learn, and and learning those lessons are are absolutely foundational to us growing stronger and happier in him as we wait for him to return and to take us home. There's hope for you in the storm because Jesus is Lord over that storm. He's Lord over your storm today. That's the chaos of the storm. Friends, that brings us to our second point this morning. Point number two, the command to be still. So if scripture tells us to, to expect storms in life, which it does, it also tells us who is Lord over the storms. And so, yes, there are storms, but, but in Jesus and, and through the gospel, there is hope for the storms. In, in the midst of this incredible storm on the Sea of Galilee, with wave coming from this side and wave coming from this side. The chaos is immense, with, with the boat sinking lower and lower as it takes on more water. What is Jesus doing? Look at verse 38. He's asleep. He's sound asleep. What a, what a picture of Jesus. First of all, what a picture of his, his humanity. This is the Son of God in the flesh, like you and I, and he's so tired from the day, so tired from his work and his ministry, that he just needs to take a nap. He, he wants to, to grab a little shut-eye real quick. But the disciples can't believe it. The disciples are desperate. They, they think that they're going to die, and they need Jesus to do something. Notice what they say again in verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And so not only are they wondering why he isn't doing something, they are doubting whether he even cares for them or not. Oh, there's application for us in that as well, isn't there? Isn't it true that oftentimes in the midst of the storm, we question God's goodness and his care? Say, God, where are you? God, why have you forsaken me? God, I thought you loved me. God, I thought we were tight. I thought we were in this together. Why have you forsaken me at this moment? But, folks, look, look at what happens next. I love the simplicity with which Mark says what happens next. Verse 39 And Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Folks, what was a great storm just seconds before is now immediately described as a great calm, all from a simple command from Jesus. Folks, can we just agree that this is unimaginable power being put on display by Jesus Christ in this moment? It's unbelievable. It doesn't even compute with us in our humanity. He speaks, and the wind and the sea obey him. Listen, you and I love to think that we have control in life, don't we? We, we love to think that we can manage our circumstances and we can, we can, we can figure things out. And, and if we work hard enough, we can control the direction of our lives. Friends, we don't have any control. Do you want to know how little control I have in my life? If you, if you want a picture of how little control I have in my life, come to my house and meet my little puppy, Lucy. Okay, first of all, I thought I had a leadership gift, gift and said we weren't going to have a puppy, but we have a puppy, so apparently I'm weak in my leadership gift as well. But if you would come to my house, you would notice how small Lucy is. When we got her, do you know how much she weighed? Three pounds. Two years later, four pounds. She is so small. She's a little Yorkie. You take her outside, literally, this has happened. The wind blows, boom, done. Boom, boom. So she, can't, she can't even hold herself up. I, I can hold her out like this without even thinking about it for, for probably five minutes. It's, it's, she's so small. But do you know how much control I have over little Lucy? Absolutely none at all, particularly when we first got her. Listen, People should have loved me better than they did. People should have told me that when you get a puppy, it, it cries like a little child at night. I had no idea. Friends, I have four kids, 16, 14, 12, and 10. I've done the baby years. I'm not interested in going back to the baby years. But, but that's what it was like with little Lucy, like late at night, just whimpering, whimpering, and just calling out for help. And I, I tried everything. I tried the, the peace, be still, it didn't work. Not, nothing. I have so little control, friends. We are so weak. We, we, when it comes to real life, we can control so little. But friends, what we see here is unimaginable power on display. And this is what Mark wants us to see more than anything else, even as Jesus speaks about Satan being bound in chapter three, and even as he speaks about the power of the kingdom of God growing, even as he says all of these things, here he shows us where all of that power comes from. It comes from Jesus himself. Jesus is the kingdom's power and strength. He is the source of all of the might and power. He is so strong that he can even control the wind and the sea. Listen, he controls it not by praying to God like Jonah did in the Old Testament. There's a lot of similarities between these two stories. He doesn't pray to God in this moment. Jesus doesn't recite some incantation. No, he controls the wind and the sea because he is God himself and he controls all things by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Friends, Mark is caring for you this morning through this. Mark is caring for you through this story. He is helping you in the midst of your fear and anxiety. He's helping you as you wrestle for peace today to put your trust in Jesus who has strength over every storm in your life. Redemption Hill, as you continue to study Mark, One of the things that that is very important is that we keep the the background in mind, the the context for this story. I'm I'm sure you've already learned that that Mark is writing primarily to the Christian church who is in Rome, the Christian church in first century Rome. I don't know if you know about the details of that time for the church, but it was not a good time. These Christians are suffering. They are persecuted. Their lives are in danger. Their worlds have been thrown upside down. And, and like the disciples, they are tempted to fear. Like us today, they are tempted to fear. We're not just tempted to fear. We are fearful. This is, this is our daily existence in some sense. The future is uncertain. The, the storms of life are terrifying. But to those that know the Lord over the storms, peace is available through the storms. And so again, friend, what is the storm for you? Maybe it is fear about your finances. Have the finances taken taken a downturn for you and is that creating anxiety in your heart? Maybe you feel the, the financial hole that you've dug for yourself and whether you could ever dig your way out of it or not. Maybe it's fear about your own thoughts and your own emotions. Maybe recently you've just been unable to get out of your own head, and your head has been a very dark place, and you feel like you're, you're drowning in despair, and that's just increasing the fear in you. Maybe in the, it's the storm of politics, and you live every day fearful of, of what's going to happen next in our country. Maybe it's the storm of your difficult marriage and, and how utterly helpless you feel right now in your marriage. Maybe it's the storm of, of drama within your friendships. I, I don't know what it is, whatever it is. Do you know what Jesus says to you this morning, church? He says, peace, be still. Peace, be still. You, you don't need to fear. Yes, the storm is real, it is very real. Yes, the chaos is severe. Jesus doesn't pretend that it's not, but he still says to you in it, peace, be still, because he knows that he is perfectly in control. And because he knows, listen, that there has never been a single drop of sorrow that has touched your life that he did not already know about and that he did not already have plans to work together for good in your life. Not a single drop can touch you outside of God's plan. The command to be silent, oh, it's a glorious picture of God's sovereign control over our lives and over all circumstances. No, notice again the great calm that comes over the sea. That same great calm is available for your soul this morning as you put your trust in Jesus. Friends, that brings us to our, our third and our, to our final point this morning. Point number three uh, the comfort. Of his strength, the, the comfort of his strength. As if we haven't seen enough goodness in this passage already. Friends, there, there's more. <laughs> it just keeps going. Look, look at verse 40. J- Jesus acknowledges how, how fearful the disciples were in the storm in verse 40. They they truly thought that they were going to die. It was a, a fearful thing. But now look at verse 41 after Jesus calms the storms that they were so fearful of, what does it say in verse 41? It says that they were filled with great fear. Eh, Great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Isn't that interesting? They were scared of the storms, but now they are filled with great fear and what are they fearful of they're fearful of the man standing before them they're fearful of Jesus and it is appropriate that they are the the storm was unmanageable and that that is a fearful thing but suddenly they are seeing in a man standing in the same boat as them, something that is even less manageable, something that is even less able to be controlled than the storm itself. And so, yes, the storm is fearful, but how much more should we fear the one that is able to calm the storm with a word? And so, in this moment that the disciples' understanding is beginning to dawn, that they're beginning to see with even greater clarity that that this is not just a good teacher. This isn't even just a really good prophet from God. No, this person has the very authority and power of God himself. Jesus's power is revealing his true identity, just like it was for Jean Valjean. It's revealing who he truly is. One commentator says this about this moment. He says, here is divine power writ large. Here is divine power writ large. Now, friends, let's just pause there because divine power, divine power is a scary business. This is often why people resist the very idea of God and don't become Christians because the idea of a God that controls all things, that that is a truly scary thought because it means that he has the power and the authority to control your life today and not everyone is comfortable with that. Listen, if that is you this morning... If you're not yet a Christian and if if you are not a Christian, at least in part because you are fearful about what it means for you to submit your life to King Jesus who has all power in heaven and on earth, if that's you, listen, I want you to know that that's understandable to me. I get that hesitancy, particularly if all that you know about Jesus is that he's powerful. Power alone is a very fearful thing. And I would be scared too if all I knew about Jesus was that he was really strong and that he wanted to have control over my life. But listen, friend, the amazing thing about this passage is that it demonstrates more than just the fact that Jesus is strong. It also demonstrates that Jesus is both good and loving. He desires to calm the storms in your life. He wants to minister to you in this way. But friend, even even more than that, this story shows us how Jesus wants to claim the, the ultimate storm over your life. In this story, as the commentator said, we have divine power written large. He is truly the Son of God. But listen, listen, we also have his humanity written large. Jesus was asleep in the boat. He, he's tired. He's taking a nap. He needed to rest. He's a human. What, what a contrast. He's so with us in our humanity that he needs to take a nap, yet so different from us in his divinity that he's able to rebuke the wind and the waves, and they obey him in a moment. But these two sides of Jesus almost seem incompatible. But friends, these two sides of Jesus are at the very center of the gospel that we celebrate this morning the very center of our faith, church. Yes, he has the divine authority and power of God himself. He is God himself. But he so wants to be in relationship with us. He so wants to minister to us and to care for us, to love us, that he was willing to become like us in every respect. And so we ask the question with the disciples, who then is this? And the answer quickly comes that this is the perfect God-man, the only one who can both stand on our behalf and simultaneously satisfy the demands of God's justice against our sins. And friends, there's another moment coming in the gospel of Mark when we will see both his humanity and his divinity written large. That is the moment when he will physically hang on a cross with his human body breaking, with agony shooting through each limb, even while in his divinity he carries the weight of the entire world's sin upon his shoulder, being our our sin bearer, being our divine substitute, doing for us what no other human could ever do but what he wanted to do because of his immense love for us, his people. Friends, listen, if you're not a Christian, if you have never come to Jesus, do not let the fear of his power, do not let the fear of what it would be to submit your life to him in his strength and sovereignty, don't let that stop you from coming because not only is he able to command the wind and the waves, he is also able to hold you perfectly secure in his love. And Christians this morning, Redemption Hill, let us find comfort in his strength together this morning. The one that saved you, the one that loves you with an everlasting love is the very one that controls this world by the word of his power. And so may you and I today rest in him and until we see him face to face. Let's pray. Father, we do give thanks for who you are. That in the man Christ Jesus, we have your divine power written large and we have your human uh, character writ large as well. That in Christ, we have everything that we need. Father, I know, I know that there are storms represented in this room chaos in people's lives, pain, sorrow, many tears have been spilt even this very week. Lord, thank you for being Lord over the storms, and I do pray that your spirit would cause our eyes to see Jesus even more clearly today so that we can rest in him and know that he is Lord over these storms. And Father, as you give us calm, as you give us peace in the midst of the storm I do pray that you would receive the glory that the family members and friends and coworkers workers would say man I know the storm that they're going through but look at the peace look at the calm in their lives that can't be because of anything in them that must because of be because of their faith in Jesus Lord glorify your name and strengthen your church we pray in Jesus name amen